We are back. It's been a few weeks, but we are back with Real Talk with Chuck and Pam, the podcast, because you just can't get enough of us on TV or in print. And why has it been a few weeks, Pam Powell? Well, I was... Actually, we were at the Critics' Choice Awards, mm-hmm. so there was a week off, and then I was at Sundance, so there's another week off, and then I had what's called the Sundance flu. That means that I burned the candle at both ends once again and got horribly sick. I got the flu for like four days. I was down. I know. And then I had a conference to go to. So here we are a month later and we're picking things back up. And in January, there's not a whole heck of a lot that happens anyway, except for the Oscars. And we're going to talk a lot about the Oscars today. Yeah. As far as new releases are concerned, January, along with September, tends to be a dumping ground. A time when studios just kind of throw things out that perhaps they've regretted that they've produced. They hope that perhaps they can get a good weekend or two out of a movie or two. And uh, yeah, it's usually slim pickings. However, I did see one good film in January that we haven't talked about in a while, but The Gentleman. Oh my that gosh. That was the highlight of January, no question. And you know what? I'm shocked that was released in January, to be honest with you, because I think of, of January and February as being the dumping grounds, like you said. And I really had a lot of fun with that movie. Unexpected. Yeah, and I think that releasing it in January did it a disservice because it really didn't find the audience that it deserved. Guy Ritchie really back in his comfort zone. Do you realize that he directed Aladdin? What? Yeah. Did he really? He, he had the fallen one. so far that he had directed a Latin because he hadn't had a hit in such a long time. Aww. But now, with the gentleman, you know, he's back to where he belongs. And if it's still in theaters where you're at, I would say check it out. It's, it was a lot of fun. He's got a lot of style, and it definitely shows in this film. And this is smart, and that's what I really liked about it. I had to think. I had to be on my toes while I was watching it, yet I was engaged and entertained the entire time. And you could tell that... Actors and actresses who sign up for his films, it's kind of like Tarantino. They do it because the dialogue's good, and also they usually get to play colorful characters. Right. You know, Colin Farrell here as this um, oh my gosh. streetwise uh, <laughs> boxing coach who runs this gym. I mean, he steals Plaid. every... Plaid. Just comes to mind. Yeah, he steals every <laughs> scene he's in. Uh, and you can tell, you know, when, when performers are having fun. When would you have released that film if it was up to you, Mr. Kaplinski? Uh, I would have released it perhaps in May, before the summer really kicks right. off to find an audience, or maybe October, that gap between the end of summer and before the awards season really kicks off. Okay, cool. But what do I know? Um, apparently nothing because um, we didn't do so well with our Oscar picks. <laughs> well, I know Neither, more than I you. know, I know, <laughs> I know. And I paid the price with that lovely hot dog with sauerkraut, uh-huh. and I don't know what else was on it. Mustard goo, I don't know. Three mustards. Three mustards. It's a three mustards. It's a tri-mustard uh, mix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the trifecta of yeah. mustards. Well, I got 17 out of 24. You did 15 out of 24. But you know what? Let's look at those numbers. There were a couple of surprises this year. There definitely were. And, you know, we have been so busy this year that none of, neither of us had seen the Oscar shorts. Right. So those are always curveballs that uh, go into the uh, final total as well. Right. And and I usually do see the shorts, and I was remiss this year for not doing that. I'm going to put that on my list for next year we have to make to sure that. that I see those. And you know why? Because I'm always pleasantly surprised. I know. It's like, wow, I'm glad I saw that. Oh, wow, look at that neat, innovative thing that they did. And I, I miss seeing them this year. Well, and it's always amazing to me how powerful a 10- or 20-minute short mm-hmm. film can be. And sometimes, in all honesty, they can be more powerful yeah. than a full-length feature film. Yeah, I agree. 
having to just do it in such a short amount of time, you know, whether they say necessity is the mother of invention, you, right. you've got to really get to the point. All right. So that brings us into, what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about the fact that ratings were so poor for Oscar? Or you want to just go straight to our surprises? <sighs> well, you know... Let's go to our surprises. We'll talk about the ratings and everything a little bit later when we offer up our suggestions to the <laughs> Academy as to how to fix this. Because we can fix this. We can. I hope they hire us. They should. They, they should. I, me too. I'm, <laughs> I don't know what they're paying out there, but I will definitely work cheaper. You know, there were no surprises as far as the acting was concerned. Those were oh, God, those are shoe-ins. Those are preordained. Uh, I guess the one surprise, or I shouldn't say not a surprise, but... The thing that was confirmed once more is that certain performers always need a script. Joaquin Phoenix and Renee Zellweger's <laughs> speeches were stunningly <laughs> awful, stunningly rambling, incoherent at times. I kind of expected at it times? from him, <laughs> but I don't know where she was going. What was that term your husband used with her? Um, uh, word salad. Word salad. She was yes. all over the place. and. Yes. You know, she didn't have the excuse of drinking all night like she did at the Golden Globes because they don't do that at the Oscars. So, again, some, certain performers, they need a script. Right, right. That was going to be my big surprise were the two most awful speeches. So what were, what were your favorite speeches? Did you have a favorite? Uh, I don't think anyone really knocked it out of the part. Uh, park. Uh, Brad Pitt's speech was good. Mm -hmm. uh, you could tell it was prepared. He did a good job. Beyond that, I mean, I'm looking at the list and... No one is jumping out as having made, you know, an exceptional speech. Taika Waititi, he had a good message. Mm -hmm. He kind of stumbled over delivering it, but but I did like his message. Okay. I, I thought one of the best speeches was actually Parasite, which is one of the big surprises winning Best Picture. They took home how many? Four. Four. Four yeah. Academy Awards, which was not expected at all. And I think the poor guy just wanted to drink and celebrate, and darn it all, he just kept getting called up to that podium to grab another little golden item. Yeah, what do you say after the first two times? Right, right, you know. yeah. Well, and he was smart in uh, with the final one. Uh, he let a couple of the other producers speak. Right. And it was good to let, you know, hear, hear another perspective. <laughs> you know, the one who was getting the workout was the translator. Mm -hmm. You know, and apparently I did some reading about her. Mm -hmm. uh, she's also a filmmaker. I think she was with the company that he, that produced the Parasite. He got okay. to know her. He said, you know, he looked at some of her films and he's been promoting her work. But also he said, yeah, you want to just come along and translate. Oh my so, gosh, yeah. wow. Yeah, because she was at the Critics' Choice Awards. I don't she I remember seeing her there. Mm -hmm. All right, so any any other surprises? I mean, um, it was really pretty mundane. And that is part of the problem as far as, you know, Oscars are concerned. We were talking about how the ratings were down. And I think a big chunk of the pro big part of the problem is, is that they're last now, you know, with the Critics' Choice Awards and the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and the Directors' Awards, all these things coming before the the Oscars, it's become kind of anticlimactic. But they still did have a, a way to surprise us, which is which is interesting. But that's of course how the vote is taken. Once everything is thrown open to all the members to vote. You know, it uh, it becomes one of those things where you never really know what's going to happen as far as best picture. But, you know, it still hasn't helped their ratings because, like I say, it seems like it's the last party on a long stream of parties. And I think people are tired of it by then. Yeah. And, and they do all kind of run together. Although the Oscars, that is the, the cherry. It's um, the one. Yeah. It is the one to get. Your salaries go up and people that win this. This is a coveted award. It's what they mentioned in your obituary. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, not my obituary. No, not you. Oh, okay. no, no. Yeah, we still have a few years. Who knows? Maybe we can pull something together. <laughs> not if you keep yeah. giving me hot dogs. Yeah. Um, but, so, so how would you fix the Oscars? Let's go right into that. How would you, Chuck Koplinski, film critic, fix the Oscars? You get rid of all the music. Okay, this is a show devoted to the moving image. Not music. We just had the Grammys a week or two ago. Okay. Okay. I, so, I disagree a little bit there. Well, I don't say, uh, I still give out the awards, mm -hmm. but let's just have a medley of the best songs. Oh, that I agree with. Just have a medley. Everyone comes out, sings a verse. We move along. We give the award. Right. And, and we don't have, you know, just little, we have little clips of best actress and best actor. We don't do their entire film. Right. So why would we do the entire song for best song? Right. A medley. We, and then we move on. No more singing and dancing numbers. No. That thing at the beginning was embarrassing. Right? Absolutely, positively embarrassing. There was not one film montage this entire year. Usually there's a theme, and they'll cut together clips from past winners. There was not one of that this year. And again, this is about the moving image, and we haven't done that this year. That's a big mistake, and I would devote some time to that. I did like this year how when they did the uh, acting nominees, mm -hmm. they cut together scenes from each of the five nominees mm -hmm. and their films, cut them together back and forth. They've never done that before, and I thought that was really sharp. And But then the other thing is, there's always a big question. I, I want to see the voting results. Mm -hmm. I want to see the voting results, especially when there's a surprise. Uh, last year with Olivia Coleman beating Glenn Close, well, how close was it? Right. I mean, how did that happen? Right. And I'm sure they will never do that because they don't want to single people out. They don't want to embarrass people. Right. I get it. But how about just giving us the results for best picture then? Right. You know, we do the preferential ballot then. Let's see the vote totals. Let's see how this happened. How did Parasite beat out 1917, which was the favorite going in? Right. To me, uh, being able to look at those numbers and analyze them would be absolutely fascinating, and it would separate Oscar from the rest of the other shows. Right. Yeah, it, it, what, I, what I didn't know, and every, every year it seems like, there's a little bit more information that's released about the number of voters that there are mm -hmm. and how the voting actually takes place. And from my understanding, it is every single category, so best director, best cinematographer, those are nominated. They have the nominations by the the people in that category. Directors nominate directors. Exactly. Actors nominate actors. But when it comes down to actually voting for them, everybody votes for, for that category. Right. It is not just the people in that division. So that's interesting to me. And that's where the wild card comes in. Right. Because with Directors Guild, okay, so-and-so won Best Director. Well, that was all the directors voting for him. SAG. Right. Oh, so-and-so won that Best Actor award. Well, that's because all the actors were voting for them. When you throw in all the other technical people into the mix, as far as, as you say, the general voting, that's where things become skewed. Right. And that's unique for the Oscars, and they need to highlight that. Yeah, I, I quite agree. And I also like your idea of figuring out, you know, how many how many points did you get? I don't like the whole point system. You I know, don't ten, ten points for, for number one choice, five for number two, or however they do it. I'm not quite yeah, sure how many they ballot. get. preferential ballot, yeah. Um, I don't agree with that. I think it's just like one and one and one is what you should get. Yeah, so, you get a vote. Yeah. yeah, you get a vote for number one, and that's it. Well, and, and they did that. They changed that years ago, a few years ago, when they suddenly opened it up to ten possible winners. Okay. That's when they went to this ballot. And again, I don't understand why. The other thing that I would like to see Oscar change, and this has to do with the entire industry, we see how many movies per year? Three, four hundred? Yeah, okay. ballpark. Okay, and that's a lot of movies. And we generally see every single movie 
that goes to general release. Right. And we see as many of the art and uh, foreign films as possible. My question is, how many of the people within these categories actually see all of the movies? <laughs> it is impossible. We're film critics, and we struggle to see everything. This year, we didn't see everything. We missed the the documentary shorts and the, the live mm -hmm. action shorts, and we're remiss for doing that. But this is our job. We see all of these movies. It's not their job to see all of these movies. Do they get all the screeners that we do? Yes, we all get the same screeners. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately... Who has time to see all of those in a short period of time? And this year it was much, much Even shorter. shorter. Yeah. They, we didn't start getting stuff until almost the 1st of November. So we had less than a month before some of our respective um, organizations mm -hmm. were voting. So there's no way that they saw everything. Why don't the studios give the screeners to those people who are credentialed as soon as that movie is released? Don't and then know. that way it would be all the way through the year, and more films would be seen, and then you're voting, I think, in a truer way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think there are ways that they could do that, all this new technology yeah. that they have, but will they bother? Of course, that's the big question. Right. How else would you change it? What else would you do? You know, they were talking not too long ago about giving a an Oscar for most popular film, mm -hmm. whatever that means. Um, <laughs> biggest box office. Biggest box office. Well, there's a couple ways you could do that if you wanted to. You break up the best picture thing and you say, okay, you have some nominees for best picture with a budget of zero to ten million. And then best picture, ten million to a hundred thousand. Or a hundred million. hundred million. And then <laughs> I thought best, my math skills were bad. Exactly. And then the best picture, one hundred million beyond. And then that would help some of those small things, right. small films get the recognition that they deserve and are often overlooked. Right, like Britney Runs a Marathon and Yesterday, both of those films totally overlooked. So if you want to, you know, give a popular one, fine, but also recognize the other films that have other sorts of budgets. I think that would help increase the audience and again, more importantly, give credit to those uh, smaller films that often get overlooked. Also, I think I told you another idea as far as the best picture thing. Yes, Do it by and I'm genre. excited about this. Do it by genre. You, you know, they say horror films never win, comedies never win. They're often overlooked, and they are. Then have a category of five comedies, and you give that award for best comedy early in the show. Then you do best horror science fiction, best adventure film, best drama, whatever. You get these, and best international film. Mm -hmm. You have all those winners announced during the first two hours. You throw them then in the category of best picture, and then you have the Academy members vote on their phone or on their computer at home for those sudden new nominees, and that's how you determine your best picture. Wouldn't that make it much, much more exciting? Yeah. You think people yeah. would tune in? Yeah. yeah. As long as they don't have the guy in charge of the uh, Iowa caucus and that app, you know, this could work. <laughs> this could work easily. Oh, cheers to that. There we go. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look. We have a very special day today. Today is Valentine's Day. Mm hmm so, Chuck, sometimes I know you do have a heart, and I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. hedge my bets on this one and say you do. And tell me about some of your favorite films for people to stream on Amazon or Netflix or Hulu. Oh, uh, well, obviously romantic films, then, right? Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have like made I that clear. So the horror films. Right? <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust is not an option. <laughs> nope, not on Valentine's Day. Cuddled up with your honey eating yeah, chocolates. Okay. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. <laughs> well, I suppose the cult film for today is Casablanca. I would be. I would wonder how many times that's downloaded or viewed or mm -hmm. whatever over this weekend. That would be an interesting little thing to to, to look at. Uh, yeah, that's of course the go-to. 
A love story that I love that didn't get the love that it uh, deserved when it first came out was uh, the Warren Beatty and Nett Benning remake of Love Affair. I That movie wrecked me. Really? Absolutely wrecked me. And I loved it for its romance, but I also loved it for the subtext because this was really about Warren Beatty and how he had gone from woman to woman to woman, and then he finally finds this woman to settle down with in Annette Benning, who played the character on screen as well. So it had that subtext going as okay. well. I really love Love Affair. If you want something lighter, She's Out of My League. Oh, I, I almost <coughs> put that one down, and, and people can see that where? Uh, that's on Amazon and I believe Netflix. Okay. Yeah, and the other two, uh, Love Affair and Casablanca, is on, are on uh, Amazon as well. Yeah, but Jay Baruchel, it's, it's just a sweet movie, mm -hmm. uh, and it's funny. And it's Chicago. And it's Chicago. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that one I really get a kick out of as well. Very so, good. What about you? I've got a, a couple. Actually, there's there's one that just got released on Netflix this week, and it's called To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You. This is a teeny bopper kind of movie, and... Okay, I'll admit it, I'm still in touch with that teeny bopper kind of mentality of being a girl back then and falling in love with boys. And there's this girl who writes all these letters to the important guys in her life throughout her life through the point of her being a junior in high school. She puts those letters away and somehow those letters get mailed to the respective boys. Total embarrassment, really sweet story. I highly recommend watching this. This would be good, a good mother-daughter type of film to see. Again, that's on Netflix. And then a movie that you and I both agreed on. I think this was released last year, perhaps the year before. Always Be My Maybe. Remember I, that one? <laughs> yes, that one was a lot of fun as well. And another one, Rachel McAdams and About Time. I like the whole time travel thing. I thought that was a really sweet film. Uh, that's on Netflix as well. And then my all-time favorite, Kate and Leopold. I had that one on my list, too. Yes. Wow. Yes. One of the few movies I like Meg Ryan in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Liv Shriver's in that no, as well. No, Hugh yes. Jackman. And Hugh Jackman. They're both in it. He plays, uh, uh, Hugh Jackman plays the guy from Leopold. the Leopold, yeah, past. the guy in the, in the and, title. And um, Liv Shriver, <laughs> yeah, the guy in the, in the title. Liv Shriver plays the guy upstairs that she used to date. Really? Yes. I forgot that was Yes. Good. Yes, it is. I love that, that movie. I have seen that over and over and over again. You know what's interesting about that film is mm -hmm. that, you know, romances mm -hmm. are tricky because you really gotta you really gotta be conscious of not laying it on too thick. Right. And that one just walks the line beautifully. It does. Just so beautifully and it's funny and it's sweet. And the ending really has an impact. I, I really like that movie. And yeah. I think that one doesn't get enough play either. I agree. I agree. I think that's a classic. There are a few on Amazon that I really like that I don't know if that many people have heard about. Find Me. Do you know that movie? What's one? Find Me. Huh? Huh? No? Okay. <laughs> don't know that one. No, I don't. Um, it is about the this uh, man and woman in a business who the girl is really into hiking and adventure, adventuring around the country. And the guy has just gotten through a divorce and he's depressed and is scared to get outside of the box. And so she encourages him and it becomes this journey to find the girl because she goes missing and it's a geocaching type of adventure. It is a beautiful, sweet wait, wait, story. A what type of adventure? Adventure. No, you said geocaching. Geocaching. What is that? It's it's when you use your phone to find different clues and you go to longitude, latitude, X, Y, and then 
You find it? No? I've never heard of that. Seriously. That's a heart attack. Yeah, I've never heard of that. <laughs> Geocache. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll teach you some sometime. Ah. I'll give you a little tutorial. Ah, look at that. Okay. <laughs> I think you might enjoy this movie. The other one is a movie that's coming out next week called Top End Wedding. Um, this takes place in Australia. And again, another kind of adventure where you're taking clues, finding clues, and trying to find mom who's disappeared right before a wedding of her what? daughter and her son. Yes, really fun movie. Um, it actually becomes more of a love of mother and daughter and finding your roots, and it just left me in tears. I've seen it three times and loved it each and every time that I've seen it, and that is coming out on VOD next week. What's that one again? Top End Wedding. Okay. Okay? Okay. Got it. If you've seen it three times, that means I don't have to. <laughs> I think you actually might like it. It's it's beautifully done. Yeah, you know, I written. think we're going to talk about a movie here in a minute that you said you thought I'd like too. So, what? Yeah. What movie is that? That horsey thing oh, on Netflix. You didn't like it. Oh, God, it was so boring. It was not boring. It was completely boring. Okay, we are talking about the Netflix movie Horse Girl. And it stars Get a new title. Allison Brie. <laughs> Which, who's very sweet. She is. Had a nice picture taken with her. She's so she's sweet. Adorable. She's adorable. So this is an awful film. She's very humble. <laughs> no, it is not. It, it is, is not. It, it, it really highlights... Mental, What's it highlight? It highlights mental illness and the genetics with that as one girl comes to the realization that she's a lot more like her mother than she wants to be. Okay. And And... I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you did. If you're suffering from an insomnia, horse girl <laughs> is the way to go. If you would like to understand a little bit more about mental illness and maybe seeing it from someone else's perspective, see Horse Girl on Netflix. Or go watch Joker again. Oh, God, no. Okay. You know, <laughs> I if we're going to deal with mental illness, you know. Oh, that was, that was just horribly depressing. Hey, you know soul, what? Talk about soul sucking. It That's was, soul but sucking. you know, unfortunately, it's timely. But you know what? Hmm. If we're going to talk hmm. about mental illness on film and a meaningful film okay. that people need to see, I think you've seen this. Michael Shannon, Take Shelter. Yes. That's an exceptional film yes. as far as dealing with mental illness and questioning what's real in your world and what's not. He plays a man who uh, starts to get images, uh, visions <sighs> of the end of the world. Yeah. And he's firmly convinced this is going to happen. And he talks to his mother right. as well because she, I believe, is institutionalized in the film. I don't remember. It's or, a old one. Yeah, and uh, he asks her, when did you start to get signs of this? And right. he's searching within himself. And it leads almost to the destruction of his marriage and quite an ending quite an ending. I believe actually Take Shelter is on Netflix. Check that one out. I okay. love that film. Well, maybe not for Valentine's Day. Maybe no, not for Valentine's Day. No, no, no. The 15th. There you 15th. go. 15th. There you go. <laughs> I think that's it for Real Talk with Chuck and Pam's podcast. Uh, tune in next week when we're going to be telling you what else to watch in the theaters so you don't waste your money. Right. And being able to sort through all the glut of films on demand. As always, we need to give a big thank you to Sylvia at Sylvia's Irish in Bed and Breakfast in Urbana. That's where we're recording from, actually. That's right. It is one of the most comfortable, homey places to stay for a great night's sleep and a luxurious breakfast in the morning. And check out her website because she's always got, you know, high teas and other events going on. So even if you're not going to spend the night, there's other things to do here. And let me tell you, once you walk in the house, you're going to want to spend the night. Right. Sylvia's Irish in. Thank you, Sylvia. 312 West Green Street in Urbana.